Hello, and welcome to another episode of the R Foundations podcast. My name is Joshua. Today's episode will be focused yet again on the natural order of things. So we did the episode on the light side of the natural order. We did the previous episode before this one on the dark side of the natural order. And now we'll, we'll, we will get into some symbolism as well as some specific Uh, topics and ideas and concepts that we can look at that are a little more practical and that we deal with on a more regular basis and that are going around in our culture today and the political climate. We'll look at some of these issues and relate them to the natural order. And I'll give some examples of how at least I would look at a certain topic or concept or thing that's going on or being discussed, and how would I apply the natural order to that thing. So I'll do that kind of in real time and overlay the natural order onto that thought process. For my typical disclaimer, you should not be listening to this episode as the first episode you ever listened to of the podcast. At a very bare minimum, go back to the first episode on the natural order. Ideally, go back to the first episode of the podcast as a whole. But at the very least, go back to the first episode of this season. And there are many other starting points that you could Uh, start from, but definitely don't start here. So if you are new, go back to one of those points. And I guess a good recommendation from me would be to listen to the podcast overview episode, which is the should be the very first one chronologically on the feed for this podcast. And in that I go over basically the entire podcast, kind of an outline of what exists within this podcast and what I talk about, what the seasons cover, that kind of stuff. So that would give you an idea of where you may or may not want to start or skip over or whatever, but don't start here. So for everybody else, you are not starting here. You are aware of where we are coming from, and you have the foreknowledge from the past few episodes. So that is perfect. We will go ahead and start with the idea of symbolism. So as I was going over this outline, building out this framework for the natural order, it kind of just made sense to also talk about some of the most common symbolism that would be basically in this vocabulary of discussing the natural order and discussing the topics and philosophy and theology that are covered in this season. And so that's what I want to do, because these are symbols from nature, symbols from the actual natural world. And so they fit very well within this framework of the natural order. And some of these symbols we are already using in describing the natural order, such as light and dark. We have the light side of the natural order and the dark side. So let's go ahead and just start with that. Light in general is something that correlates with life. It correlates with vision and being able to see. It correlates with enlightenment and being able to know things and understand things. So light is something that is definitely a symbol of the natural order, especially the aspect of existence, of especially that first principle of life itself. Where there is light, at least within our world that we live in here on Earth, there is typically life. That is something that most life needs to survive. It is one of those aspects, at least. And when something is alive and exists, they typically need to be able to sense the things around them in order to survive and thrive and spread and that kind of thing. That is typically done through vision. And with humanity, with us, we typically see things and sense the world through that perspective. And so having light to be able to see things is a very important aspect there, as well as the enlightenment side of things, where we need the light to shine on information, on certain things that are more conceptual in order for our mind's eye to be able to visualize them, to see them, to know them. So that is the idea of light, and you can see how that fits in with the light side of the natural order, as well as with nature itself. Those things do correspond really well together. Now, with darkness, dark typically symbolizes death. And this should make perfect sense. If something is dead, they are not seeing anything. It is dark, as well as the fact that 
a lot of times death comes in the darkness. So if you think of predators, oftentimes predators will hunt at night. If it is nighttime and it is dark and you cannot see, then there is an increased risk of you being threatened, your life being in danger, of you running into something that would harm you. Darkness is generally associated with uncertainty because you're unaware of what is around you because you can't see it. It is associated with danger because when you can't see things, when you're not aware of things, then you are in a very vulnerable position. Uh, Dark is typically correlated with secrets, something that is a mystery that you don't know or you can't know or you don't understand. It is something that is hiding information or enlightenment. And so you can see how, obviously, the light and the dark are opposites. And when you look at the dark side of the natural order, look at things like death and predation and chaos, those things are symbolized in these aspects of darkness. The next set of symbols worth mentioning are related to the different parts of the earth, the different things that we see of nature and of our reality as human beings. These are things that are brought up a lot in scripture, especially as Yeshua is teaching in parables, things like this. A lot of this symbolism is used, and you'll miss it if you do not know what it means. So it is definitely worth bringing out. I'm not sure if I'm really going to get into parables and things like that, but it could come up given that we're talking about the early church. But even if it doesn't, these things are symbols that are relevant to the natural order, to looking at nature and drawing out some principles and then using those principles as you are discussing, explaining, trying to understand things. And that is what we're trying to do here. The first location to bring up would be the land. And land typically symbolizes something that is solid, something that is material. It is the realm of humanity. The land is where we live. It is what we know. That's how we get most of our resources. That is where we operate, what we can learn from. Mostly, we can investigate the land much easier and much more thoroughly than other parts of the earth. And so that is typically what the land will represent. Now, looking up, literally, you would look into the sky. And the sky typically symbolizes the spiritual realm. It symbolizes light. There is no humanity that lives in the sky. And of course, if we are looking in the context of the early church, there were not airplanes flying around or anything like that. And so humanity is not in the sky. We don't really go up there. We can't really investigate it very much. We only see what we see. And oftentimes it's just the effects and just a shadow of what is existing up there that we cannot physically actually test. We cannot investigate in that way. So it is less material. It's more immaterial. This is the area of the heavens. It's a more spiritual realm. If you think of birds who are the ones who fly in the sky, that is their realm. The birds are the ones who see all and they go anywhere. So typically when you have a bird come up in even classical literature or especially in the parables and the scriptures in all these kinds of places, the bird typically represents these same things. The symbolism is often similar as the symbolism with the sky because the sky is their realm. So that's the connection there. Now, the other part of the earth that we can see and that we can uh, look at to an extent would be the sea. But the sea, it is much more dark. The sky is light, but the sea is dark. It is very difficult to see into the depths of the sea. That is the depths. It is a place that we cannot go. It's a place that we don't know very much about. It's a place associated with secrets and with monsters and chaos. The sea is chaos of the material. So the sea is a material substance, unlike air. Air is not very material at all, but water is, and the things in the sea definitely are. It's not like clouds that are much more 
immaterial. And I know I'm using these terms loosely. Scientifically, the clouds are made up of something, molecules, blah, blah, blah. But in general, the sky and the clouds are much more immaterial versus the water and the things in the water are much more material. You have plants that grow in the water. You have clouds that exist in the sky. You can hopefully tell the difference there. And so with the sea, that is a place that is representative of the chaos in our material world. That is where the dragons lie. If you look at an old school map, uh, here be dragons will be written. And that is typically in reference to places that they don't know, they can't go, it's unknowable, it's out in the outer reaches of the territory that they are aware of. And often the sea is directly associated with this. Now, the next place that I will mention would be a less material version of this darkness, and that would be the underground area, what is beneath us, what is in the depths of the earth itself. This is a place that is definitely dark. It is definitely secret. There are also monsters that lurk in the depths of the earth. This is the place of mythical beasts. This is the source of dark spirits. This is the underworld. This is a place that is more spiritual in nature, but it is also a place that is associated with the darkness. So kind of like how you have the land that is our material world, the realm of humanity. It's um, looked at as a fairly positive place. That's where we can easily survive and thrive and live. Then we see the sky as this spiritual aspect associated with light in a positive way as well. Well, those are then flipped. When you look at the sea, that's the material world that we can't really live in. That is where the chaos and the monsters are. And when we look at the uh, depths of the earth underground, that is a place that is more spiritual and immaterial we don't really know much of anything about it. We couldn't know anything about it, just like the heavens, just like the skies. And so that's the idea there. The final aspect of symbolism that I wanted to bring out was one that I have used many times on this podcast, actually, and that would be the tree. Because the tree is something that has so much symbolism tied up into it that it is used in many different ways to explain many different things, but all tied down to this one symbol of the tree. Now, with the tree, the tree exists in symbiotic relationships with itself and with other things. So the leaves have their function that uh, correlates with what the needs of the tree itself are, and the branches extend out so those leaves can do their jobs. The roots extend down into the ground to draw up nutrients that the tree needs. The trunk is this central nervous system of the tree that deals with not only the stability and security of the tree itself, but also moving around these nutrients and signals and things like this. And so this idea of the tree being in symbiotic relationship with itself um, kind of correlates with all of those different aspects as well as with more. But the tree is also in symbiotic relationship with just about everything else in its ecosystem, with the soil, with the birds, with insects, with other animals that find shelter there or eat the leaves of the tree or people that use the tree for wood or for shelter themselves. The tree is typically not only identified as something that is useful and positive and symbiotic in its relationship with things, but the tree is also a staple of a natural ecosystem. It's something that really needs to exist in at least most ecosystems in our world, especially the ecosystems that the people in the time frame of the early church were aware of. But the tree has a lot of other aspects that can be used as symbolism. We've got this cycle of health and production, the idea of producing fruit. A healthy tree produces healthy fruit. When the tree is healthy, it's getting good nutrition. It is sturdy in the ground. It's in a positive environment for it. It is producing good fruit that is good for eating, that is good for even spreading its seed and creating new trees. It is good for the wildlife. It's good for all kinds of things. But the health of the tree is directly related to the fruit that it produces. And so oftentimes you get this symbolism of 
our own inner health and relating that to the fruit of our lives, the evidences that you can see in how someone's life is going or how someone acts or how somebody talks or how they treat other people. These can be the fruit of their inner health. And so that is a good symbol to use for that as well. Now, the tree will stack many different functions. I've kind of already mentioned this, but the tree has many different parts. They perform many different roles, and in doing so, they provide in many different ways, whether it be through compost or through shelter or through food or for whatever else. I've already mentioned many of these, but these functions do stack, and that's another aspect of what a tree is and what its role is as a whole within nature. The tree provides life. The tree is very complex. The tree draws from light outside, and it spreads in the darkness in its roots. And so it is something that exists in both worlds. It exists on the land. It reaches up into the sky. It needs water, symbolizing the seas, in order to survive and thrive. And it grows down into the depths of the earth with its roots. So it exists on all of these planes that I referenced earlier with the symbolism of land, sky, I see and under the ground. So the tree is something that you will hear referenced very often with this type of symbolism. The next section to get into is changing gears a bit and looking at some specific things and trying to assess them via the framework of the natural order. Now, these are topics and concepts and things that exist within our society that are often debated, that are often discussed, that have some political overtones, but also practical aspects in our lives. And so what I did is I made a list of these things, but I did not make any notes associated with that list. Typically, I have an outline and at least a few little notes for each bullet point, that kind of thing. So I don't script my shows by any means, but at least have a rough idea of where I'm going with things. I don't really hear. Pretty much all I have are these topics. And so the idea is that since I am someone who is very familiar with the natural framework, seeing as to how I'm the one that created it and laid it out. Uh, I should say, I didn't create the natural order of things by any stretch of the imagination, but I created this framework for the natural order of things. And with that, I am very familiar with it. I've been working with it a lot, so I should have a pretty good comprehension of what these things are, and therefore I should be able to apply them in my everyday life or in a discussion that I might be having with somebody or in something I'm processing in my own mind. And so my idea here is to walk through these things and walk through this process so that we can get a little more practical in how to apply the natural order. The first topic to approach would be one that is one of the most controversial as well, and that would be abortion. So abortion is definitely a very hot topic politically. It is also a hot topic within some other smaller circles, like the libertarian circles. You have the right of eviction argument from some, and you have the rights of the unborn child that definitely get highlighted by other libertarians. And this is a fairly heated battle, even among libertarians, much less among Democrats and Republicans and other different political viewpoints. But abortion is something that uh, definitely can be assessed according to the natural order, just like anything else could. So what I would do is look, number one, at the main point of the natural order. What is the main thing? Well, it is life. Life is the first principle, the most important principle, and is life getting promoted and improved through abortion? And I would say that it would be difficult to make that argument. You could say that someone's life might be better if they did not have a child than if they did, but that's not something you can really prove. That's not something that statistically really plays out as well, and that is much less solid than saying that someone being born, uh, that act is something that creates more life rather than them not being born. That is something that is very solid that can be proved. So from that first aspect of life, the first principle of life, that would be uh, definitely the first place I would go with that. But 
The other aspect would be these other principles of existence. You have life, love, and sacrifice. So if you look at a woman who is considering an abortion, uh, a woman's role as far as being a mother, as far as the, you know, speaking in generalities here, though, but a mother typically is very concerned about the life of her children. A mother is typically one, or even just a woman in general, typically will be the one who produces offspring. They are the ones who uh, continue the family line. That is one of their most important roles is to be a mother. And that is an extremely important role and one that should not be diminished or looked over in any way. And so a mother is very concerned for the life of her children. A mother is very loving. She is very connected with her children. She is going to sacrifice her good for the good of her children. That is the typical symbol, the typical idea, concept of a mother. However, If one chooses to get rid of a child that they have conceived, then that would definitely be an anti-mother. That would be going against all of these things. It's going against the idea of looking out for the life of the child. It is going against the idea of loving that child. It is going against the idea of sacrificing yourself for the sake of that child. Instead, you are sacrificing that child for the sake of yourself. And that is not something that is very in line with the natural order. So while there are many other aspects you can look at related to the abortion debate and how to parse that out in your own mind, at least when I look at the natural order of things, this natural order framework, that is what stands out to me. I did an episode on politics, political correctness, something like that early on in season one, you can cycle through and try to figure out what that is or where that is. And if you can't find it, email me and I will look it up and let you know. But I did an episode where I did talk about abortion, among other things. And uh, those topics are uh, definitely brought out with more elaboration and in a different perspective than I am doing here. So I talked about abortion and uh, gun rights and racism and some other things. I can't remember all of them, but uh, that might be of interest to you if you're interested in this, but you have not done what you're supposed to do and gone back and listened to all the episodes. So I will go ahead and move on to the next topic, and that would be health. So health is one of the most important things for all of us. We need to be healthy because we need to be alive. And if you are not healthy, that leads towards death. And that would be the basic, very basic aspect of this is that health is associated with the light and with life, whereas death is associated with being unhealthy. So in your life, you should always be striving to be healthy if you're one that is striving to be in line with the natural order. So another aspect here with health might be something like diet and what you are eating. So for example, we have this principle of profit that I've discussed earlier in the previous episodes. And with profit, you need to have proper profit. So when you are eating food, you're consuming nutrients, you need to consume the right nutrients for your body, consume what you need, consume enough to get you through to your next meal. And you need to make sure that that profit is a reasonable profit, a reasonable amount of extra nutrition to get you through towards the next meal and to keep your body healthy. However, if you are overindulging in food and you're eating way more than you need, then that is not really in line with these this principle of profit, nor is it in line with the idea of being healthy. And so uh, a lot of these things are things that in a way it's common sense. Yes, you don't want to be unhealthy, of course. But when we talk about the natural order of things, you can really break it down according to these principles and look at it from that perspective as well as just the common sense perspective. The next concept to look at would be war. And war is something that, again, should be fairly easy to parse out here. So war is something where people die, typically, and it definitely goes against the principle of life. It goes against the principle of love, where all life is connected and works together, these types of things, symbiotic relationships. That's not really the case when it comes to warfare. Just like when you look at the principle of sacrifice, typically 
the sacrifice is done at a much different scale. So when you look at a micro perspective of sacrifice within warfare, you could look at a soldier who throws himself onto a grenade to save the life of his squad and sacrifices his life for the sake of the others around him or other examples like that where an individual soldier is sacrificing themselves for the sake of others. That is a very positive thing that increases life according to the natural order that is in line with love that is in line with the true meaning of sacrifice, not a perverted uh, version of that. But if we get a little more macro with this idea of sacrifice, you have, say, thousands of soldiers that are dying in this war. And what are they being sacrificed for? Well, looking at most modern wars, and I use America as the example since that's where I live and what I know the most, well, with most modern American wars, we are told that these soldiers are sacrificed sacrificing their lives for the safety and freedom of the American people. But we should know, anyone who has listened to this podcast or is aware of much of any aspect of warfare and the corruption that truly exists within it, we know that that is not actually the case. A simple example would be to look at the wars in the Middle East. Uh, Heck, you could start before that and look at the meddling in the Middle East and how that did create a lot of animosity towards America and towards the West. And that did not make America safer. It actually made America uh, more vulnerable because you had people that liked America even less because of what America was doing. And so that was not about the safety and freedom of America. Americans, that that was not promoted in that meddling in the Middle East prior to us getting involved in all the wars there. And as we got involved in all the wars there, think about how society within these countries, Afghanistan, Iraq, Libya, different places like this, if you look at these places before we came and after we came, uh, after we came, it's typically a lot more chaos, a lot more death, a lot more very negative things and associated with that, a lot more animosity towards America. And those people typically want revenge for their family members and friends that were killed or that died because of the interventions of the U.S. And so building up animosity, you're building up enemies, which does not make your country more safe. That does the opposite. Another principle that you could look at would maybe be the idea of profit, where is there more life and value after a war than before it? And I would argue, no, there is typically not. You could look at the aspect of community that I've mentioned within this framework. And is this something where community is being built? Uh, No, not really. Communities are being torn down and destroyed. This is all about a conflict between one community and another, not a symbiotic relationship between the two. You also could have the idea of free will. Are people through their own free will, choosing to participate in this war? Well, often in modern wars, they the soldiers themselves have agreed voluntarily to participate in that military and therefore in the war. But there have been times when people have been forced to fight in a war. But not only that, when the military then gets sent to, let's say, Iraq, and you have U.S. soldiers that are in Iraq are the people of Iraq that are living there, especially in these maybe border zones of the war zones, are they making a free will choice to participate in that war? Well, no, no, definitely not. And if they had a free will choice, they would probably choose not to have warfare right outside of their door. And so you have a lot of interference with a lot of these principles of the natural order when you look at something like war. Another topic to look at would be environmentalism. And I'm not talking about the environmentalist movement, just uh, viewing the environment as a whole, everything from climate change to gardening to being in tune with nature, these types of things. And this would be something that I 
think it would be helpful to look at these principles to kind of parse out the difference between the environmentalist movement as we see it operating today and what I would argue would be the light side of the natural order, what true environmentalism should be. And so when we look at something like cycles, for example, and apply that to something like climate change, we could see and we know that the Earth does go through cycles and the climate does change. That is a natural thing that does happen. And the sun is the main driver of climate on our planet. And so when you look at these cycles and how they happen throughout history, that is just a natural part of how the Earth works. So to try to stop that cycle as a whole that's not really in line with the natural order. If you're trying to control nature's cycles, control the weather, these types of things, those are not in line with the natural order of things. However, I would definitely agree that if we are entering into a cycle that could be harmful for life and for humanity, then taking mitigating measures against that would probably be very wise. And making sure that we are not contributing towards negative effects of the planet, of the weather, of climate change, of all these things, those would be very important and very in tune with the natural order as well. So things like pollution and destruction and deforestation, these things are bad for the environment. And these are harms that are being done by humans to the environment that are not good and that do also contribute to things like climate change. And so when you apply the natural order framework to the idea of climate change, the result should be that you are taking better care of the earth and you are not polluting and you are not destroying it. It should not be that you are trying to control and manipulate the cycles of nature and the weather. Those are two very different things. One is associated with aspects of the dark side of the natural order and one with the light side. Now, other aspects would be things like gardening or just being involved with nature outside of your home, being in tune with the seasons, being in tune with the weather and with the plants around you and the wildlife, all of these things, being in tune with nature. This is a way to stay in tune with the natural order as a whole. This is a way to increase your health, increase your awareness, your illumination of how the world works and all of these things. And it is good to be in tune with these things. This is a very positive thing. These things happen in cycles. So when you look at a garden, there are cycles. You have the spring growing season. You have the summer where it gets pretty hot, at least in most climates, this generalization, of course. And then you have the fall where you're wrapping up the growing season. And then you have the winter time where most things are died off and you are more planning for the spring, not necessarily growing anything yet. And so being in tune with that is being in tune with these cycles and cycles are a part of the natural order, as well as progression. You're growing these plants. They're getting bigger. They're producing more fruit. You're creating profit. So the causality is in a positive direction with your profit and with justice. You are reaping and you are sowing. So it's really in tune with all of these different aspects of the natural order. And so I would say that it is something we should all be aligned with. The next concept that I wrote down was progressivism. And so this is the idea of not being stuck in the old ways of doing things, but instead progressing forward as a society into new things that are more effective and more efficient and more in line with the way we want to do things. And that would be the overall idea of progressivism. And I would say that on one hand, Uh, that, if you just left it there, that sounds like it could be in line with this idea of progression within the natural order, as well as profit. You're working towards building a better future by moving forward and progressing. These would be good things. You're trying to build community. You are increasing life through love. These types of things. That would be good progressivism. But the reality of what we see in especially American politics with progressivism is that it actually does the opposite. And so that is not a positive thing. When we look at what the natural order 
is, and you see that the progressive agenda is steering away from the light side of the natural order and directly towards the dark side of the natural order, then obviously it is not in line with the natural order. And so that is not something that I could get on board with. So it's kind of like climate change, where just the overall concept of progressivism, of organizing society in a way that might be new, that might be an improvement on some of the old traditional conservative ways, um, there are aspects of this that could be good. So from a conceptual perspective of what it should be, that could be a positive thing. Just the same thing with looking at environmentalism, that could be a very positive thing. But the way that it actually plays out, especially in American politics and in our culture, that is not a good thing because it is not in line with the natural order of things. One example might be welfare. And so the welfare state is something that is highly promoted by the progressive side of the political realm. However, with this welfare system, the way it works is that money is taken from everybody and then portioned out to those who are in need. And it doesn't even always work out to be towards those who are in need, but let's say that it does for the sake of argument here. Well, then those people in need are not only reaping what they did not sow, that would be a perversion of the idea of profit and justice as well, but also the wealth to do this welfare program is taken from other people without their free will choice to give it. And so if you are stealing from somebody in order to do this, that is doubly wrong. Now, you could argue that, well, it is restoring balance, and that is proper justice to bring the poor up in society into the middle class. And I would not disagree with that. But if you do it through theft and force and coercion, that is not a good thing. It would need to be done through free will. It would be it would need to be done through the idea of life, love, and sacrifice. It would need to be in line with the natural order of things. And that is possible. That would be proper justice. But to force it and take away from others in order to satisfy this idea of justice, but usually in the end, it just makes people more reliant on the state and statistically does not have very good outcome ratings. That is not proper justice. This might bring us to the next idea, and that would be of rights. You hear this term being used a lot in the modern culture of basic human rights. We have a basic human right to health care. We have a basic human right to the housing or this, that, or the other, education, whatever. And we can apply the natural order of things to look at this and gain a little bit of clarity here. So the rights that you have are to the natural order. So you, as a human being, you have the right to life. You have the right to love. You have the right to sacrifice. You have the right to free will. That would be the final and kind of cornerstone of the light side of the natural order. These are things that you do have a right to. And these are also things that everybody else has a right to. So you may not infringe on somebody else's right to any of these things just because you feel like it. So even though I may have the right to start a fire, I do not necessarily have a right to start a fire in every circumstance. So I could start a fire on my own property within safety bounds where I am not causing harm to anybody else in any other way and infringing on their rights to all of these same things, I could do that. I have the right to make that free will decision and action to build a fire. But I do not have the right to a free will decision to start a fire in Walmart and burn the building down with people in it. That is not something I have a right to do because, again, it infringes on everybody else's right to life and free will and these types of things. And so the rights that we have are in existence for everyone, and one person's may not infringe on somebody else's. So anytime you hear someone say, oh, well, it's a basic human right to XYZ, well, 
is that a right that they will receive through the natural order of things? And it is, is it a natural fruit, a natural output of the natural order of things? Is it something that they can produce themselves, that they can control themselves, that they can do without any negative effects on these rights of other people according to the natural order? Well, if so, then yes, that could be considered a basic right. But usually, no, it's usually not. So, for example, with education, people do have a natural right to education. They have the right to look outside, to investigate things, to try to better understand things, to do experiments, to learn from other people. They do have the right to have the option, the free will, to pursue education. Yes, but that does not necessarily mean they have the right to force somebody else to fund some big education program that they can then go to and participate in so they can learn, because that would infringe on other people's natural rights. And so there is a definite difference there. Now, that does lead us directly into government. If you look at the idea of government, government is driven by force and coercion. Uh, governments are the leading cause of death worldwide, democide. And so government is definitely not in line with the natural order of things. It is a perversion of this idea of true hierarchy within the human system, the human social system. So you should have leadership and management and organization that promotes efficiency and effectiveness, that promotes the natural order of things. But when you look at the hierarchy of our current and modern governments, they do not have that. They have this inefficient bureaucracy that is ineffective at providing for the people that is trampling on this framework of the natural order and that does not at all fall in line with these things. You could argue that the leadership is very poor and that those are not the people, the politicians that are actually in power, they are not the people that should be in this leadership position of the hierarchy within our uh, current culture and climate. I doubt I have to elaborate much on this with my audience, so I will move on. The next aspect is relative truth or relative morality. Now, this is something that I've also talked about before for, but the idea here is that many people say in our modern age and culture that truth is a relative thing, that you can have your truth and I'll have my truth, or morality is looked at the same way, where your morals might be different than my morals, and mine might be backed up by my religion, and yours is your religion, and this other person's is no religion, and so we all have this different idea of morals and ethics and truth. And I would say, like most of these things, that there is a degree of alignment with the natural order for this. And so the way that I would break it down is that the natural order is truth. The natural order is morality. And so anything that goes against the natural order as a whole is something that would be immoral, unethical, deceitful. I mean, deceit is one of the main principles of the dark side of the natural order. And so anything that is on that side is not going to be in line with the natural order of things. So the idea here would be that if you're saying that any truth can be somebody's truth and they can pursue it and it can be true for them and it can be moral for them if they so choose so and that is their choice. Well, that I would definitely not agree with. But I would say that within the framework of the natural order, there are people that do believe many different things, and they do have different views on morality and ethics. Some people think it is morally wrong to put your elbows on the table at dinner time. Some people just think it's morally wrong not to have dinner with your family at night and instead to sit on the couch and watch TV. Some people think that it is morally wrong to force your kids to sit at the dinner table. And um, these are the types of things that uh, I would say definitely have a lot more wiggle room. Those are not things that have a lot of this natural order framework involved in them. They are tiny, minute things and could all be wrapped up in this idea of the natural order, at least roughly. I would actually say that having dinner as a family with your kids at the table and acting at least relatively polite and respectful, that that would be very in line with the natural order and having a rambunctious dinner time that is completely chaos 
or that doesn't exist at all, and they're running and playing in the other room, that that would not be as in line with the natural order of things. So yes, you could apply that there. But uh, I guess where I was trying to go with this is that within the natural order, there is some variety and wiggle room there that you can say, well, this is my version of ethics or my version of morality. And that could be true as long as it is within the uh, moral framework and ethical framework of the natural order. So you are confined to that. But within that, there is some variation. The final topic that I wanted to mention was the vaccine. And by the vaccine, I am referring to the COVID-19 mRNA vaccine. Now, this would be something that I think is very good for assessing according to the natural order. So according to the natural order, what we want to do is work with nature. We want to work with the natural order. We want to be in line with it. There is a natural way that things work, and we want to be in line with that natural way. So uh, number one, this kind of sums up the natural order concept and ties it all together and looks at it from a more macro perspective. But number two, this also ties in some of the stuff I've talked about in previous episodes, especially in that interim period between two and three, about shifting into this new age where the goal is to manipulate and control nature. So instead of looking at one specific principle of the natural order, I'm looking at the natural order as a whole. So overall, we do want to promote life and we do want to promote free will. Those are the two principles I would definitely say always apply and we should always keep in mind. But the framework as a whole, the whole natural order is something that we should be striving for just period. We should be trying to live and operate and solve problems in such a way that is natural, that is the way that our reality functions on its own because it naturally seeks balance. It naturally seeks life. It naturally seeks love. Uh, that's kind of the point of these principles of the natural order, and these are good things. So we want to pursue avenues that are in line with that. Now, with the vaccine, specifically the mRNA vaccine, this is something that goes against the natural order, specifically because it is a manipulation of the natural way of things. It is manipulating the way your body responds to things. It's manipulating the way, at least my understanding is, it manipulates the way your DNA expresses itself. So on one hand, if this was the only possible way to prevent death, then that might be worth considering. If it was something where you had a certain fatal diagnosis, you knew that it wasn't going to be long, then yes, trying some random experimental uh, way of dealing with medicine might be worth considering. I'm not going to say it's the right thing to do in that circumstance, but I will at least say that makes a little more sense. But when you're dealing with something that has a very low fatality rate and that has natural methods of dealing with it, then this is definitely not the way to go without a doubt. So when you have a virus that has a 99.9-whatever survival rate, and you see that people that are hospitalized and have fatalities from it are generally deficient in vitamin D and deficient in vitamin C, then it stands to reason that if you supplement with vitamin C and vitamin D, and ideally you throw in zinc to help your body process all these things together well, and you compare that with general good health, because that is something that is also in line with the natural order, like I talked about at the beginning of this section of the episode. And so there are these natural ways of preventing and treating and dealing with this specific virus, just like there is this one specific way that is being attempted to deal with this that deals with manipulating the natural order and manipulating the way that your body functions. And so I would say personally that 
trying to manipulate nature is not the route that I would generally take. And trying to work in line with nature is the route that I take because I try to be in line with the natural order. So that is the strategy that I pursue. So that was the last topic that I had written down for things to apply the natural order to. And I would just say that kind of in summary, the natural order framework is one that we should all be familiar with. It's one that most people will be able to agree upon despite their religious differences and worldviews. And it is definitely a helpful thing to have and to understand. And it is helpful to be able to apply it to lots of different aspects. So that is the idea of the natural order. It's something that not only comes from Christianity and from the scriptures all the way from creation to the New Testament, but it's also coming out of the Greek philosophers. It's also coming out of some ancient Chinese wisdom. It's coming from a lot of different sources where people educate themselves by looking around at the world and how it works, and they learn from that. They draw from that. They live their lives according to those principles. And that is something that I think we should all be more in line with and more in tune with. And so hopefully this has been helpful in doing so. Now, the next episode that I will do should be on agorism. This is a little different than earlier episodes that I have done because this is specifically within the context of season three, talking a little bit more about the early church and maybe a Christian perspective on agorism and going into a little more detail on what it is and how to apply it in these types of things. So I will reference in the next episode which episodes I've covered agorism on before because I've done plenty on examples of agorism and I'll reference those so you can go back and listen to those if you're interested and I will attempt at least to make this episode something that is a little more original and does not overlap too much of the content from before. With that, I need to say thank you, especially to all of the financial supporters of the podcast that are contributing to keep this podcast going and keep me from having to pay for it all. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. And thank you for people who have taken the time to leave a rating and or a review. That is very helpful. Uh, The word of mouth is helpful, as well as some of the feedback I've gotten. I've gotten a few emails lately, and I really appreciate you guys giving me some feedback and sending me what you think about especially these newer episodes that's really helpful to get those in a timely manner in a chronological manner that is especially helpful so I can get some good feedback on stuff as I am covering that subject so thank you very much for that thank you for listening I hope you come back next time for the next episode of season three and until then I'm out peace This has been our Foundations Podcast. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. (laughs) Bye-bye.